Smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the unprecedented podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Welcome back, everybody. Wednesday, June 30th, John Aravosis here with Cliff Schechter and our special guest, Congressman Richie Torres. Uh, Richie is the, I always call her, I got to stop doing that. I know you don't mind, but I feel disrespectful. It's, it's, wait till you get a little older, Richie. It's weird because you meet people younger than you and you have a hard time using honorifics for them because it, it's weird. <laughs> so no Congressman. Offense. Congressman, I apologize. Richie, to Congressman Torres is the congressman for New York's 15th congressional district. He was the first openly gay candidate to be elected to legislative office in the Bronx and the youngest member of the New York City Council. And his election makes him and Mondaire Jones the first openly gay black men elected to Congress. Uh, this also made Torres the first openly gay Afro-Latino elected to Congress. Uh, thank you for coming back. We interviewed you. just weren't you. happy with breaking one Jackie Robinson sort of thing. You needed to kick down about four walls there, huh, Richie? I mean, ha, Congressman. <laughs> There's no harm in breaking more barriers, more than one barrier. So. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Um, but uh, no, we, uh, you know, we wanted to start uh, with some sort of some breaking news, so to speak. Um, the Congresswoman uh, Ilan Omar was interviewed by Jake Tapper last night, and uh, she made some comments that have got people a, a little upset. You know, in a nutshell. Uh, and I had shared this with Richie just before the show really quick, but just to have a quick comment and we'll move on. We don't want to spend a lot of time, but I think it's important. Um, Jake had asked her, do you understand why some of your fellow House Democrats, especially Jews, find your language and anti-Semitic, some of the things she said before? And she started really good by saying, you know, she's welcomed her colleagues, having a conversation, learning from them, them learning for her. And then she said, I think it's really important for these members to realize that they haven't been partners in justice. They haven't been, you know, equally engaging in seeking justice around the world. And then she added that they haven't experienced the same kind of injustice in the way she has in their lives. And anyway, Cliff's, Cliff's Jewish. Cliff, maybe give a 20-second <laughs> sense, and then we'll throw Actually, it to Richie. I, I'm not going to give much of one. I'm just, I, I'd like to, to get the congressman's take. I'll just say quickly, I've defended her a lot in the past, and I think people tried to read too much into what she said. Um, I'm not, you know, but that comment right there, I mean, most of us who are in this country, the vast majority of us, somebody died in the gas chamber and that's why we're here. Um, so to say that that we haven't experienced injustice or whatever, I mean, my whole family is here because they were pogromed out of the Ukraine uh, or Ukraine and they were murdered uh, in Germany. And I mean, it, it, that makes it very hard for me to, to defend her. And I'll just throw it to, to the, con the congressman at that point. Um, where do, well, first, I'm not even clear um, what she means by, you know, in what sense are her colleagues not partners in justice? Right. And I can speculate what she intends to convey, but it's not clear at all what she means by that. So I just, mm -hmm. I think when you make comments like those, it raises questions about the sincerity of the apology or the clarification. And, and then I find it profoundly disappointing and it's insulting to her colleagues who, who do see themselves as committed to justice. I have a different viewpoint on the subject. Right. You know, and we'll we'll move on. A, a quick yeah, addition really fast, just so folks know, because I've worked on civil rights issues at the national level for about 30 years. And one of the most amazing things to me in the 1990s when I was new at this was 
the to the extent to which American Jews were our biggest defenders, especially on uh, gay rights back then, LGBT rights today. And I remember asking a friend of mine in Senator Kennedy's office, why? Because I'd be like, well, Jews, they're religious. Don't religious people hate us, right? I mean, you know, I was a kid at that point. And he was like, oh, no, reform Jews, which are two thirds of Jews in America, incredibly social justice oriented. It's anyway, it to me personally, having worked on civil rights, even though I don't have Cliff's personal connection, it, it, yeah, it's incredibly short-sighted. But, you know, let's move on to another breaking story. The Wall Street Journal just reported that the Trump organization is, according to its sources, is going to be indicted on Thursday uh, on the first, it said, the first criminal charges, meaning there may be more, uh, and its chief financial officer, uh, Weisselberg, Cliff? Yes. Is that, yep, Weisselberg. I believe it's either Wessel or Weisselberg. But Weisselberg. Don't... Uh, is also going to be indicted. Uh, this whole issue with taxes and whether they gave fringe benefits and didn't tax them. From what I'm reading online, uh, Daniel Goldman, uh, who was the, uh, uh, the the gentleman who helped with the impeachment with Adam Schiff, Goldman said that apparently any indictment is enough to bring down the Trump org because all the creditors are going to ask for their loans back immediately right. and they won't have the money. Anyway, uh, so our I know first question, yeah. Richie, that I have to ask is that indeed happens, should we immediately declare it a national holiday or should we wait till next year? <laughs> well, I hope we do not wait 156 years as we did for Juneteenth. Fantastic answer. Yeah. Go ahead, John. <laughs> no, no, I was just going to throw it to you. That was another late breaking story. I mean, it's kind of a softball, you know, how do you feel about that, Congressman? <laughs> um, you know, you know, I, I want to I be careful not to, uh, to, to celebrate the the, the I was kidding. I want to be clear, by the way. But I, you know, it's a serious point because um, you know, at a rally recently, Marjorie Taylor Greene spoke of locking up AOC, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, and I. Oh, did that, she? Yeah, I thought that again. That kind of rhetoric is so destructive, so yeah. poisonous um, in, in a democratic society. So I want to, having said that, it's important to send a message that no one is above the law, uh, not even a former president. It's it's although the Trump organization, rather than Trump himself is the target of the criminal investigation. Right, yeah, right. I mean, I gotta say again, I'm just gonna say quickly, this is why I'm so impressed by you, Congressman, and I'm not just saying that because you're sitting here, because I think, to me, we've talked about on this show, I joke and, you know, we all, and all that, but, but the key thing that we need, I think, for a democratic culture is to not take glee in individuals right. being harmed. The most important thing, and it's tough for all of us, right? We all have to be the, our, find our, our better angels and say, this is important for the rule of law. This is important for our country and not just sort of, you know, right. um, and I, I'm impressed that I really think that's a incredibly mature way of looking at it. And we need more be, of that in Congress. Be careful not to politicize the criminal justice system, not right. to politicize prosecutions, which can be overzealous at times. Right. Yep. Well, there, there's also, there's also a more cultural aspect. And honestly, Cliff and I do it. I mean, I admit I do it, but it, there's a part of me that feels bad. We, to sort of gloat at the troubles of others. And it's something that the right does. Like you said, they really like to do the, you know, lock her up. And I mean, God, even if somebody gets, you know, ill, they'll tweet horrible things at you, you know, and it's, it's hard not to, um, I forget the quote, uh, God, again, I'm throwing it to Cliff. Cliff's like my, my savant for the podcast. Um, was it Nietzsche or whoever, but talked about like looking into the darkness and not yeah. becoming the darkness? Yeah. And I think in I mean, politics, look, I think you can, you can watch something yeah. as simple as like Star Wars. I mean, I hate to say it, but like, <laughs> I know it's funny, but in the same way, it's that you can want justice. But when you become them, when you let the hate overcome you. And again, this right. is a process, I feel like for all of us, we're all human. 
And there are moments where we all let it, but to try to, to, to control that, it's a constant battle to say, it's more important that we have a democracy. It's more important that we not let the passions lead us to, I don't know. I hope well, I'm making well, let's, sense. Let's throw it back to Richie. I mean, do you, do you ever sense that? I mean, even in your political career to date where a little bit of a struggle between not trying to have a bit of schadenfreude about the bad things that happened to our political opponents? First of all, schadenfreude is my, is my favorite word in English language. Isn't it great? I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, should, I, I am careful not to gloat about the misfortune of, of others. I mean, I do appreciate accountability. So someone like Donald right. Trump has been gaming the system his whole life and has been escaping accountability. And to see him held accountable does elicit a, a cathartic reaction, which right, is yes. different from schadenfreude. Right. So yeah. it's, it's it's appropriate to celebrate accountability when right. it's long overdue and long delayed. Um, but I want to be careful not to gloat about the, right. the suffering of right. others. Maybe the catharsis just should be about justice, right? Being served. Exactly right. I was just going to say, Clint, justice versus justice and accountability. Right. Justice versus revenge, maybe, is the yeah. way of looking at it. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. You know, so let's go to some of the other topics. So January 6th commission, the insurrection, uh, Speaker Pelosi, I, you guys... God, I should be up on this. Have you had the vote yet or you haven't had the vote yet? She just announced a few days ago that she's going to move ahead with establishing a uh, select committee, I believe. We, we, my understanding is we are voting today. Ah, okay. Okay. Right. And, it, and it's going to be a select committee? Select committee. Can you explain now, how yeah. that works exactly? Because even I, who follow this stuff, yeah. like, so the Republicans still get to appoint people to a select committee. Is that how it works? The, the speaker will make the appointment. But yep. a share of the appointments are going to be based on consultation with the minority leader. Bingo. Which so actually he can say, I it, want Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene. I, I mean, like she doesn't have to say, oh, yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene's OK. She does but, not have to accept his. She consults with him, but she ultimately right. makes the decision. But there, there were, you know, there are three means of conducting the investigation. Right? There, there could have been a special prosecutor who, who would have been accountable to the Justice Department, the executive branch. Right. You could have a select committee which is ultimately accountable to the leader of the House or the Senate. Um, the idea would have been uh, a, a January 6th commission right. after the 9-11 commission because it's independent of both the executive and the legislative. The leadership of the commission would have been bipartisan. bipartisan. The manner in which the investigations were conducted would have been bipartisan, but the Republicans rejected it. We, we right. negotiated an agreement with the ranking member of the Homeland Security Committee and then the Republicans derailed the agreement. And that's Representative John Katko of New York, correct? Yeah, exactly right. Just so people know, and he's one of the 10 Republicans who voted <laughs> to, to impeach Donald Trump the second time. But he did it in good faith, this, this negotiation. McCarthy and all of them supported it. And then they pulled the rug out from under him, which is just right. key context for people to know. Yeah. No, actually, the transformation of the Republican Party into a cult of personality. Right. Yeah, I, go on. We're doing, sorry, we're doing that European phone line from 30. See, you're too young to remember this, but back in the 70s, when we would call family back in Greece, you'd get this weird cutting each other off, like one second delay that you see on CNN they've got, even though it's you okay, and I are- Congressman, I'm too young to remember it too. It's just John. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Even though he and I are about two miles apart from each other right now, but it's it's doing this cutoff. No, I was going to say, I don't remember if we asked you last time, maybe you hadn't been here yet. Were you in DC the day of the insurrection? Uh, I was, I was in my office uh, in Canon, 
317. Okay. And I was waiting to go to the house floor when all of a sudden the Capitol Police barged inside, immediately directed my team and me to evacuate. And at that time, I was unfamiliar with the Capitol complex, so I found right. myself wandering through the labyrinth of tunnels in the Capitol complex without actually knowing where I was going. Oh, so you mean the police weren't leading you? No, it was just a scene of confusion and chaos. Ooh. There was no order at all. Well, did you fear for your life at any point there? I was more, I had the, the same sense of shock and confusion that I had during 9-11. During right. I could not, like the notion of a terrorist attack on Twin Towers was unimaginable to me and that it happened. Yep. Right. The notion of an invasion of the U.S. Capitol was unimaginable to me because right. we have our own dedicated police force. Uh, and then it happened. So I was more in a state of shock than I was in a state of terror. Did you know, uh, did, for example, those of us watching at home knew in real time, not what was going on inside per se, but we, we knew the doors were being bre uh, breached, et cetera. A, did, was, were you and your staff aware right before the cops came in to get you? Did you look and go, holy cow, these guys are breaking in? And B, once you were on the run, did you have any information as to what was going on? No, we were evacuated because there was a bomb threat against oh. the Capitol. Oh. So that's what it, wow. Okay, I didn't even think- Oh, so then they breached the doors and you weren't getting any updates, of course, because you said you were kind of wandering and no one was giving you info. Until an hour into it, the Capitol Police found me and then brought me to a- Secure location. Secure location which Oof. then became a spreading event because the Republicans refused to wear masks. That's right, yeah. Yeah, the famous photo of Marjorie Taylor Greene- to find a way to make yeah. an already evil situation worse, of course, by being immature. Wow. I mean, that's incredible to me, and I'm not blaming, I get the Capitol Police, you know, we're probably, we're obviously, we're not fortified enough, we're not expecting this, there's no National Guard. It's incredible to me that, that you didn't have specific people grab you and sort of, you know, point you in the right directions to get out. I mean, this was all, you could have wandered down the wrong hall. You no, know, rank and file members of Congress have minimal protection. Right. I mean, there, really there are... Some of the most prominent members of Congress have no security detail, have to pay right. for private security detail right. out of their own campaigns. Right. right. Well, well, that's just, ridiculous. And I'm yeah. surprised that, especially after what happened, you would think that could change. Well, I'm surprised there wasn't a plan in place, basically. I mean, I don't, we didn't want to spend this much time on that day, but I think last time we didn't sort of get into the details, probably because it, I think we were all kind of, actually, I don't even know if it had happened yet when we interviewed. I don't no, think, I think it did. I think we had him on before that. Yeah. You had just moved to your DC apartment. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's why. That terrible camera. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You had the terrible camera. <laughs> you look great today. Don't worry. Um, no, but um, I, I'm surprised that there was no evac action plan. For example, if there was a secure hideaway for members of Congress, if the Capitol is attacked or overrun or whatever, your staff should have been briefed on day one. I mean, this is your staff's fault. I mean, the security they should have provided you with a map or something. But the notion that Members of Congress were literally told, we don't care where you go, just leave your office. I worked on the Hill. It is a labyrinth, and you could have easily ran into some of those lunatics. Yeah, I could have gone to the Capitol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could have said, well, maybe the floor is safe. Maybe, I don't know, right? I mean, Jesus Christ, wow. That's, yeah, I did I, not I, realize I that. I was struck by the lack of planning and professionalism in the response. Hmm. And, and people have said to me, you know, how have your first 100 days been? And I said, I could write a memoir of my first 10 days. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if you had said to me two years ago that I would become a member of Congress during an infectious disease outbreak and witness an insurrection against the U.S. Capitol during the Electoral College vote count and then vote to impeach an outgoing president 
And all of that would happen within the first two weeks. I would have said, that sounds like a movie. Right. That is, right. oh my gosh, right. think about it that way. That's incredible. Well, have I ever mentioned to you what a carnivorous beast my mom is? She loves steak and burgers, right? We grew up on them. I've never seen her so happy when I sent her Omaha steaks and burgers for Christmas one year. Holidays around the corner, finding the perfect gift is tricky. Omaha Steaks makes it easy to send friends and family an unforgettable gift guaranteed to be loved. Go to omahasteaks.com right now and enter Stephanie in the search bar to order the perfect gift package. For $99.99, you'll get 24 entrees, like the world-famous bacon wrap filet mignons, chicken breasts, sides, desserts, and so much more. When you use the code Stephanie, you'll also get an additional eight Omaha Steaks burgers free with your order. We've all heard the reports about shortages and shipping delays, so don't wait. Order the perfect gift package today at omahasteaks.com. You'll get eight free burgers when you enter the code Stephanie. Achieve gifting greatness with Omaha Steaks. Incredible flavor, incredible value, and 100% guaranteed. That's omahasteaks.com. The keyword is Stephanie, omahasteaks.com. Well, we here at Team Steph put the wild in Wild Alaskan Company didn't we? Yes, we How have. wild are we about Wild Alaskan Company? It's so good. Uh, well, not all of us have professional food stylists like Travis does, but we love our Wild Alaskan seafood, do we not? It tastes as good as it looks. Yeah. Listen, as a member of Wild Alaskan Company, you receive a variety of delicious, perfectly portioned, wild-caught seafood delivered right to your door. We're all about, you know, we're healthy people, and we know the wild-caught is best for us, and it is how quickly they flash-freeze it after catching it. That is the whole key. No more being intimidated at the fish counter. You know that everything is uh, amazing quality. They are so confident in the taste and quality of Alaska seafood. They offer a 100% money-back guarantee. Change or pause your delivery date anytime. Right now, get 15 bucks off your first box. Box of wild-caught seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash Stephanie. That is wildalaskancompany.com slash Stephanie. 15 bucks off your first box, whether you make it pretty like Travis or just tasty like the rest of us, wildalaskancompany.com slash Stephanie. So how's the Democratic agenda going, if I may ask? How are we doing? Um, I can ask Joe Manchin and then check back, check in with you. Fair wow, point. Wow, good response. Well, actually, smart point. Because a lot said, of we no longer live in a democracy. We live under the yeah. tyranny of Joe Manchin. Yeah, um, I'm actually hopeful. Uh, so look, I, I have no uh, objections to the bipartisan agreement per se. I'm willing to support it in addition to a reconciliation bill, but I refuse to do so to the exclusion of a reconciliation bill because the bipartisan agreement on its own embraces an exclusionary notion of infrastructure. For me. Infrastructure is about more than roads and bridges. It's about right. safety and affordable housing. It's about access to the internet, especially in a world of telehealth and remote learning. Right. It's about the quality of the air we breathe and, and the water we drink. So I want to ensure that we have a much broader reconciliation bill that harnesses the power of the FDR moment that we live in. Are, Are you, you hopeful that both will be able yeah. to, to pass, that we won't, that Joe Manchin will not Joe Manchin it? I'm hopeful that the House will not pass the bipartisan compromise unless and until the Senate passes the reconciliation bill. Let me let me get a little deeper here because I didn't understand what you said a minute ago. Are you saying okay? So basically, what has been talked about is this initial bill that maybe it's like 450 billion or something like that for infrastructure, but it's the much narrower definition of infrastructure that doesn't include childcare, other things that Biden was talking about. And then Biden and the Democrats were talking about having a much larger bill, secondly, that would pass. Uh, initially, Biden talked about linking the two, saying we wouldn't pass one without the other. Then he backed off. 
what are you saying about the linkage or not between the bills? Would you vote for the for the smaller bill, even if the bigger bill hasn't passed? No. That's what you're saying. Oh, interesting. Yes, okay. That's the, the linkage is non-negotiable. Okay, that's interesting. And I think for people to know, there was no initially. This was not an issue. There's Republicans on video, Republicans in written statements, saying you know numerous times that that whatever happens in reconciliation is separate. But then Mitch McConnell came in with his marching orders uh, and said that you know just, they decided it'd be better to demagogue on this like everything else. So that now, oh my God, if the Democrats pass it via reconciliation, it's partisan, and you know because they haven't done things like that with, let's say, Supreme Court justices and tax cuts for their wealthiest base and, you know, the rest. Um, and Mitch McConnell will be the first to point out that elections have consequences. Right. Can I he ask you, when he what, wins them, what, he's very clear to point it out. Yeah. yeah. What <laughs> leverage do you think we as Democrats have? In other words, why would, I'm devil's advocate of you because I want to see your answer, but why would, if I were a Republican, I'd say, great, Richie Torres doesn't want to pass that shitty infrastructure bill. Good for him. We don't want Biden to pass anything. We want, as Mitch McConnell said, I want to stop the Biden agenda. What leverage is there in saying, aha, we're going to hold up the smaller bill unless you pass the big bill? What, what leverage do you, are you, do you think are Republicans desperate to get that smaller bill passed as well? I mean, not most Republicans, but the, the, the coalition of Democrats and Republicans who negotiated the agreement have an incentive to pass it. Like my impression is that it's it's seen as a legacy achievement for Mansion and Cinema in particular. Right. Well, and I suspect. Yeah, well, I, I live in Ohio. Some of the member, I was going to say pointed out to people, elections, right? And we, yeah. we drive to you know here and there. We'll drive to Washington D.C. We drive through West Virginia, and I mean honestly, with all respect, I'm not, I don't say it's a negative way, but there are serious, serious infrastructure needs there. For him not for for Joe Manchin to not address those would be a massive failure. Is that enough to get him to do it? I guess is the question. And members of Congress, if there's some well, Republicans, you know, perhaps. Started, though, Manchin has said that that a reconciliation bill is inevitable. So oh, I didn't know that. Okay, so it looks like then that hmm, we will committed. get both of them done. He's given the impression that he's committed to moving both. Right. So they filibuster the bigger one, or either, or they pull back on their support. Then we reconcile. We do reconciliation for both. But you know, the the, the root of all evil in Washington D.C. is the filibuster. Right. Uh, the filibuster has made the Senate a graveyard for everything we care about, whether it's immigration reform or democracy reform or LGBTQ equality or gun safety or voting rights enforcement. You name a cause, it has died at the hands of the filibuster. Right. I tried right. to make this point. I wrote a piece for the Daily Beast on this because I think this is important in terms of messaging, which is the filibuster isn't when Joe Manchin says, oh, we need bipartisan support. The filibuster is actually what kills bipartisanship. When we didn't have the filibuster, like, for example, on the impeachment vote in the Senate, seven Republicans voted to convict Donald Trump. Uh, if there had been a filibuster and they hadn't been able to do that. And the key thing I pointed out was on the gun safety, as you bring up after Newtown, Joe Manchin's own bill. We had five, four or five Republicans supporting it. That's bipartisanship. But we couldn't get a vote on it because of the filibuster. So it actually it kills bipartisanship. That's what the filibuster bipartisanship does. lies in the center. Right. The filibuster empowers the extremes in the Republican Party. Right. Now, we've only got you for half an hour, so I wanted to just throw in a couple quick questions. Um, crime, maybe not quick, crime and police reform. You know, last year, uh, the debate really focused a lot around police reform, obviously, with Black Lives Matter and, and, and all the uh, horrific abuses that were televised. This year, we are seeing uh, spikes in violent crime around the country, and... Uh, I sense 
that there may be a collision between the two. Um, is, you know, where are we on all of this? And is there any way to, for Democrats to embrace, to address crime and to address reform in a way that frankly doesn't get us killed at the polls in 2022? Look, I believe we can have a criminal justice system that treats us fairly and keeps us safe at the same time. For me, the, the, the choice between public safety and criminal justice reform is, is a classic example of a false dilemma. Right. I, I do worry about the, the, the crime wave that we've seen. Um, just to put it into context, in, in New York City in 1990, when I was only two, right. there, there were 2,262 murders in New York City, right. compared to somewhere in the range of 420. Right. So the number of murders remains dramatically below historic norms. Right? In, right. in 1990, there were more murders in the Bronx alone than there were in all of New York City. And the population's grown since then, so right. it was... Right. Having said that, in 2018, murders were at historic levels, 289. And then it rose to 469 in 2020, which is a 60% increase, which is not something that you can ignore or take right. lightly. Um, so I'm in favor of reforming policing, not defunding it by 50%, right. as New York City DSA has proposed, not abolishing it altogether. I think what most people want is not less policing or more policing, right. but better policing. Better. Yeah. Like people care about the quality rather than the quantity of policing. Have you ever had any run-ins with the police yourself being a, I mean, you're, I don't know if I would call you a dark-skinned Latino because you're also half black, but I mean, you, as a white man, you're black. <laughs> um, the, world, the, world, the world perceives me as a black man. Th that, that's what I was trying to say, exactly. Exactly. I mean, have you had, have you ever sensed that with your, any of your encounters with the police over the years? During the era of stop and frisk policing, I, I, I was stopped repeatedly by the police and it's a degrading, really? humiliating experience, um, which poisons police community relations and poisons the perception right. of the police among communities of color. But I'm not going to allow my rage to form the basis for public policy and advocate the abolition of policing, which is an irresponsible position today. Right. And it's unrepresentative of where most people of color stand. Most people of color want constitutional and transparent and accountable policing of their neighbors. Right. 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 Um, do you, have you found, do you have maybe in certain proposals already, but when it comes to just the increase in crime, are there sort of uh, bills, are there, are there policies that you advocate for that you feel like might be able to mitigate, improve? Um, and lessen the crime rate that is growing right now? Look, for me, the, the most important policy changes uh, can happen at the federal level, but it, it goes back to the, the filibuster. In, in a rational world, every gun would be registered and safely stored. Every gun owner would be licensed and trained. Every gun sale would be subject to a background check. Um, Absolutely. That would be a rational world, but we, yes. we have a thing resembling a rational system. We have a dysfunctional system where one U.S. Senator who represents a state smaller than my congressional district has the power to unilaterally filibuster gun safety for 330 million Americans. We live in a country where we have more guns than people and we have more gun violence than the rest of the world simply because we have more guns, we have too much access to those guns, we have too little regulation of those. Like right. I'm not advocating the elimination of guns. I'm advocating that we regulate the safety of guns just like we regulate the safety right. of portable well, right. that we do what most other high-income democracies have done, some of which 
have histories, the same history we have. Sorry, I've worked a lot on the issue, right? Scandinavia, Canada, and, and they've done it so that they have rational rules and laws and regulations, as you said. Um, do you think beyond guns, there may be a mental health aspect to it? I wonder if some of the lockdowns we've had to all endure in isolation, maybe I'm just throwing this out there, I don't know, you know, has contributed to some of this. It's hard to say, and all of it is speculative. There's no, everyone, you know, the theories that put, that people put forward that attempt to explain the crime wave often are a reflection of their own ideological biases. So I have not seen a study right. that conclusively explains. Right. I promise that's not my ideal. I'm just asking, I really wonder, that's all, you know, because I've got kids who just spend more time at home and I see what it does. And, you know, um, uh, it's it just, yeah, me wondering out loud if, if you think there, you know, but I guess we don't, we don't have enough science on it. I got that. I, I do. There is a role for uh, community-based interventions like Cure Violence, or there's a, a model known as Cure Violence that recruits former gang members as violence interrupters, and then has those violence interrupters reach out to gang members in the hopes of steering them away from gang violence, from a life of gangs. And it can be a powerful form of outreach because you know you have a former, former gang member telling a young person, don't make the same mistake that I did. You're one bullet away from languishing in prison for the rest of your life. And that kind of individualized outreach uh, can have an impact in changing the life of a young person. Right. It seems to me also, I'll just say quickly, like you brought up, even police reform helps to a certain degree because, you know, you, you have police that are more trusted, respected. You know, I remember community policing being something that's growing in the community. They can develop relationships with maybe at-risk youth and and prevent, right? I mean, maybe that's also part of the... Look, there... There is some merit to the defund police, right? Like, am I in favor of defunding police by an arbitrary dollar amount? No, but but defund police as a challenge to explore how we can civilianize functions that historically have been performed by the police. That's an idea worth pursuing. Reform the police. <laughs> right. No, I'm not advocating defund as message. I would not use the word. That's what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but, but I don't want to yeah. completely disparage the idea because there is merit to the notion of civilianizing functions that have historically been performed by the police. Right. Our response to homelessness and substance abuse and mental right. illness and even traffic enforcement. And maybe in a world where police were not bogged down by social work, right. we're focusing on their core competencies. Right. That would be a much more efficient use of policing resources. Well, and it's it's not defunding at all. Actually, if you're if you're talking about spending, for example, let's pretend it's the same amount of money, but instead of you know hundred percent being the police, now it's ninety percent the police and five percent, like you said, traffic enforcement goes to this group. You're not really cutting the police budget in terms of it's just like talking about infrastructure, right? It just depends how you define it, not even how you define it. The basic police functions are dealing with these issues. We're still going to deal with these issues. We're going to deal with them more creatively. I'm all for that. I just don't like, well, yeah, that's I don't like to hear the word defund because, sorry, Cliff, but it makes people think yeah. we're literally talking about, yeah, we just think the police suck. We're not going to, we're going to, we're going to cut crime fighting 10% is what it sounds like. And that's what I think we as Democrats have to be careful, but you know that, <laughs> you know, the, 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 policies of the Democratic Party are far more popular than the brand of the Democrats. Interesting. Fail at messaging. I mean, look, take Florida. Uh, the, the, the majority of Floridians voted for a higher minimum wage and then proceeded to vote for Donald Trump. Yep. And yep. You, you, I, we've seen that happen in numerous states, right? I mean, you 
in, in Nebraska, I think in the past, and some of these states, you brought up guns. <laughs> Washington State and other states have voted, you know, Nevada to to for background checks. I mean, or take, take Republican. You know, in what sense is Republic are Republicans campaigning against Democrats for the midterms? We're we're not having a debate about substantive issues. No, Republicans are campaigning against critical race theory. Uh, bathroom, you know, tr- you know, the, right. the trans people in bathroom. I want to be able to read my Dr. Seuss books whenever Seuss. I in the bathroom without being bothered by a trans person. <laughs> when I've got Mr. Potato Head, Mr. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but those are the yeah. those are the issues on which the Republican parties are campaigning against the issues, party. right? And and none of them are policy issues that, on which right. we can legislate. <laughs> right, 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 right. But there, yeah. but how do we how do we fight back against that though? Because what I worry about is maybe okay. The Republicans are very good at messaging, but maybe part Richie of the for reason one or two more. Or we've got the congressman for one or two more minutes. Okay, I think so. Let's just okay. But well, here's my question though. Republicans are very uh, maybe part of the reason Republicans are so good at messaging is because they understand that Democrats we want to talk about the issues on our 25 point plan, and the Republicans are able to come up with very pithy boom 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 talking points. You know, and I mean, how do we? You know, the most brilliant observation came from Chris Hayes, who, who right. said, you know, Republicans uh, resist critical race theory because it claims that race is the most important fact of American life. But the fact that the Republican Party has coalesced around a backlash against CRT confirms that race might be the most important That's fact funny. of American life. <laughs> that's funny you're right well i'd say the republican yeah, party if you take a look at the observation yeah yeah if you take yeah. a look at their average rally you can tell yeah. that that uh there's a similar shade to all of them and that race may just play a role there somewhere yeah it is painful to say this but the politics of racial backlash remain powerful even in 2020 yeah okay last question and then we'll let you go because i know raymond his staffers probably in the background going um what uh you've got a year and a half left you're up for re-election uh, every member of Congress is up for re-election. What is the signature accomplishment you'd like to get done between now and next November in a year? Expanding the child tax credit, which would cut child poverty by fifty percent uh, in the you know for the long term. Uh, there's no policy that would do more to lift the South Bronx out of poverty than the child tax credit. And as you know, the South Bronx is often said to be the poorest congressional district in America. Oh, I didn't realize that. Really. Uh, Aggressive expanded child tax credit is a game changer. I would submit to you that a progressive child tax credit be to families with children what Social Security has long been to senior citizens. You have poverty levels that are akin to what goes on in the Deep South, in the South Bronx? We have higher concentrations of poverty because we're densely populated. Right, it's more rural in the Deep South. But urban urban poverty is different from the rural poverty that, that, that... exist in Appalachia, right. but when it comes to concentrations of poverty, right. we, we are the highest. Wow. So okay, let's make your finance committee, your finance folks happy. If, if people watching this are saying, hey, here's a very smart, very reasonable uh, progressive congressman who can move things forward, where would folks go to donate money to help reelect you? I cannot answer that question because I, I thought so. Oh, you're in your <laughs> office. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. We can talk about that after. Okay, after we will Richie do that. Leaves. We'll tell them where to find you. Last exactly. question: Where can the Yankees find a good lefty bat? You know, the, 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 <laughs> I grew up in New York. I'm a Yankees fan. You don't have to answer it if you don't I'm want a Yankees to. Yankees fan, but the reason I'm in politics is because I have no skills without politics. Well, okay. My, uh, All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Thanks so much for being here. All right. Thanks, Richie. Appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Take care. Take care, Congressman.
<laughs> um, we need to, well, we'll go look on, we'll go actually, although I'm, I'm sure people could probably just Google donate Richie Torres and you'll find something. Well, I'm going to look it up on my phone right now because he's too good. <clears throat> Isn't he great? I, yeah. just, I don't just say this folks when he's on there. He is. Yep. We're lucky to have him in there. He doesn't demagogue about stuff. Yep. He's a good liberal guy who talks about well, what's important. <laughs> and can we, can we say not to quote, was it Joe Biden? I forget who made that quote, but he's so well-spoken. Oh, don't don't go. There, I know. Dude. No, no. But I mean it. I mean it. And he reminds me of an Englishman. And I've always been impressed with the English because sort of educated Englishmen or women, when you speak to them, every word is chosen so carefully. And they're so God. I mean, it's it's it amazes me how uh, he's got a mind like a vice. I, mean, I don't know what else to call it, but it's it's so controlled and smart. Anyway, he's just a, right, so really impressive. What would you I'm find? Looking Cliff? this up. Representative Richie Torres, that's Wikipedia. I don't want you. I think just uh, if people Google donate Richie Torres, I think you'll find it. Yeah, there it is. Richie Torres for Congress. So it's www.torres, T-O-R-R-E-S dot N-Y-C. Okay, there you go. Um, there you go. You know, I'm trying to think what else is going on. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> We've been going for a little over half hour. Maybe he gave us 40 minutes. We can talk a little bit more about the news of the day. Um we didn't prepare to talk about the news of the day, but um, I'm trying to think what else is going on, Cliff, that, uh, I mean, the Trump stuff. Yeah, so the Trump stuff on Thursday is interesting because- I hadn't even heard that. I knew that everyone was speculating, but <clears throat> I did not know yet that we're at that point where- It was breaking news. This I got a $40 Wall Street Journal subscription, which jumps to like a gazillion next year, so I'm canceling at that point. But, um, but I got a notice this morning from them that, yeah, that Trump's organization and the CFO are expected to be indicted Thursday. Basically, it looks like at least the initial charge, which a lot of people have said, I will say this, I think Tubin on CNN and others have said, the initial charge looks a little light. Uh, they're right. saying that it's, it would be unusual to do an indictment based on this. There were basically, it looks like the company gave non-monetary compensation to employees to sort of get around income taxes. In other words, oh, we'll give you a car, we'll give you an apartment, we'll pay, in his case, we'll pay for your grandchild's tuition for some private school. And so it's, it's going to be a tax evasion charge. It's a, it's a tax evasion charge, but apparently it doesn't usually rise to the level of an indictment. And it's some like people- Al Capone, baby. Well, that's what gets interesting is, first of all, what I thought was interesting of the Wall Street Journal notice this morning was it said expected to be the first indictment and I thought, or of criminal charges. And I thought, okay, I'm wondering if their sources and telling them, yeah, people are saying this is light. We're starting with the light stuff to get the ball rolling. Because also, by the way, you start with the light stuff, right? In other words, just a tax evasion charge or whatever. The Trump organization, all the debts get called in. Mr. Weisberg is- Gives him access is, to more of the, right, gets him to turn the flip, bingo, right? Bingo, because now the organization is in serious trouble. He's in personal liability and, and it's gonna frankly cost him a lot of money to defend here's himself. What here's what I don't yeah. get. To me, I mean, <laughs> if you follow this stuff and you read what they were doing, they're the most obvious candidate it's almost impossible. I, I don't know how you wouldn't hmm. be able to get them on money laundering. I mean, these condos they were putting out there, which they were ignoring advice from the, you know, hmm. the Justice Department, others in, in buying them from letting international shell companies buy these condos, you know, without names attached to them in their big property, in their large properties, which is like as money laundering. Oh, as was that gets. going on? I didn't see that. Oh was my that God for okay. years with the okay. Trump organization. Okay. Like I mm -hmm. would just think that, that these would be the most easy things to establish 
you know, what they've done there, you know, right. I mean, but obviously I am not a prosecutor. Right. So we'll, see. Well, we'll see. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I do think uh, you intentionally start with the low hanging fruit. Um, hopefully they've got more because I do think it, it looks a little light, you know, but, uh, but at least from what I'm hearing the experts say on TV, who I trust like Tubin. So we'll see, but that's going to be very interesting. Um, what else as my allergies kick in and my throat starts closing on me? <laughs> not in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, never in a bad way, not being able to breathe. Well, no, you know what good. I used you know what I used to do, Cliff? Before the show, I would take a Benadryl because I knew like the cream in my coffee would or the milk would bother my allergies. And then I read, a friend of mine said to me, I told you this before, we talked about this on the show. I said, Oh, read up on Benadryl and long-term effects with dementia and stuff. And it's a little scary when you Google it. I don't know if it's totally proven yet. But it got me stopped taking because I was taking Benadryl like every day because I have allergies. And when you read the data, it says, well, this only applies to people who take it regularly for several years. Well, who the fuck doesn't take Benadryl regularly for several years? <laughs> you got allergies. That's what you're doing. Anyway, there are concerns about long term use of Benadryl and dementia. So I, I read that and I went, we're going to hack a little during the podcast now. <laughs> I it's, hate it. We, whenever we learn uh, about long-term uh, effects, of, there's nothing that you can do that you enjoy that doesn't somehow affect you badly in the future. No, <laughs> caffeine, caffeine and chocolate and dark chocolate seem to be good and sex. Well, not always. I'm just no? saying like there's, there's, well, there's herpes, STDs and I was going to say there's true. AIDS, there's gonorrhea. <laughs> that, that could be a bad thing too, depending upon uh, this is your true. level of uh, safety and scrutiny. This is um, true. Um, what else? It's funny, we didn't prepare other issues because we weren't sure how long this was going to go on, really. Um, I'm not sure there's, I mean, I don't know. Uh, here, let me look. Are we missing the... anything? I'm trying to think if we're missing anything obvious that was blowing up in the news in the last day <sighs> or two. Um, Some of it just feels like it's like the same I mean, stuff the... we talk about. Yes, you know. Well, the time uh, if anything... Carlson's becoming more pure fascist every day. Yeah, fuckhead. Um, yep. On his show. Oh, here's an interesting one worth mentioning. Uh, the U.S. House voting 285 to 120 to remove Confederate statues from public display in the Capitol, as well as the bust of yes. Chief Justice Roger Taney. He's the one who wrote, the Dred, he wrote oh. the Dred Scott decision in 1857. Hey, does the article, I was wondering about this when I heard about this earlier that they were going to be voting, because it's, well, if it's the Capitol, I would think it would have to be both, does it have to be both houses then? Because it, if it's the Capitol- the Senate but would have you, to pass but, it. But, well, yeah, I would think so. Mm -hmm. And again, here's another classic example of what mm -hmm. we were bringing up about the, the fallacy of what Joe Manchin says, which mm -hmm. is in this 285 to 120 vote, I think you can guess that the 120 were all Republicans. That'll right. shock you, I'm sure. But 67 <clears throat> Republicans joined the Democrats in voting for this. That's interesting. I mean, yep. how much more bipartisan can it get in yeah. all honesty than than out of a, a caucus of what about one you know um well they i thought they had a bigger caucus so maybe not everybody there and voted but out of the republicans that voted one, over one third roughly there if you do the math there it lo right. looks like um about uh, like maybe about 35 percent or so voted right. for removing the statues that's pretty significant yeah. you know what i mean i mean as as pathetic as it is that 120 voted against it, and they should all, they should mostly rot in hell. Right. Um, you know, 67 is a pretty legit number. But you know what? If it does need a Senate vote, guess what? Guess who will filibuster it to not oh, put yeah. Republicans in Southern yeah. seats in no win situations? He's not going to put you know uh, Republicans running for reelection. Hell, forget yeah. Southern seats. Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, who's in what what was the heart 
of the old Republican Lincoln Republican Party. The Republican hmm. Party was founded in Wisconsin, anti-slavery, right. but now they've got a basically a, a Confederate general serving as one of their senators. And Ron Johnson cannot vote for that bill without losing his base. Amazing. You know what I'm saying? So, <clears throat> so my guess is to protect him from having to take that that vote. Right. You know, uh, you you see a filibuster from McConnell, and it's just like so. Now, what McConnell's effectively done yet again with the filibuster is taken this very bipartisan bill and killed it. Right. Right. Is that's what the filibuster does? It murders right. bipartisanship. Right. What our messaging should be. Yep. Wow. Um, <sighs> what else, John? Ooh la la. Wednesday. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, the Florida stuff, but we have nothing to add on that other than just nasty, horrible. Obviously, what's going what, on there? The Florida, the, the just the, the condo collapse. collapse. It's kind of scary because again, it's the kind of thing you don't think of ever happening. And like, Jesus Christ. My guess is the broader issue there is, and we'll find out as more time goes on. Hmm. Again, deregulation in this country. You know. Is that responsible? What happened there? I know that somebody had warned early on an architect that there were cracks and things. Right. What level did that rise to? Because, you know, the Florida thing's awful, but it also has a broader, broader implications for what could happen all over the country. Right. If people are ignoring codes when, and, and or getting around them when they're building. Right. <clears throat> um, another interesting thing worth, I don't know if we want to get into the whole <laughs> lion's den of Nina Turner and that election <laughs> coming up in she, oh, go for it! It's an Ohio I'll just thing. Say my feelings. I'm from Ohio. Let people know what it is. I what met is her it? long before she was. Cliff, a what is the election? Tell people what Nina the issue Turner is. Turner was was somebody who was ready for Hillary, a former state senator in Ohio, until she was not ready for Hillary at all because she seemingly got a better deal from Bernie Sanders. Right. Eventually, would not even support Hillary in the general election in 2016. Uh, she supported Jill Stein. Said when Joe Biden was elected, it was that it was like eating a bowl of shit. Very classy and very whatever. Yeah. And now, of course, has pretended to be the best Democrat ever because when Marsha Fudge, who's from a district in the Cleveland area where Nina Turner is from, was appointed uh, to the Biden administration, there's an open election there. And Nina Turner suddenly became a born again Democrat and is running. But of course, all the usual leftists are supporting her. I will say this very simply from my, not even from what she's done publicly, but my interactions with her when I worked in Ohio politics, she's a con artist. And she'll just become another one. She's as bad as Joe Manchin, but on the left, she'll she'll come yeah. in and she won't do anything. And she'll demagogue to get more attention because it's always been about her. And her people are attacking corporate Democrats right now. I mean, hilariously, like it's amazing who they can attack and not ever hold their, their own people to the same scrutiny. She literally joined Mercury Public Affairs. People need to look that up, look it up. It's like as DC as DC gets, it's a lobbying shop. They lobby for China. They, I mean, but no, nope, that's the really, I mean, China. She's Oof. as pure as the driven Oof. snow, Nina Turner. I mean, she's just such a con artist and that yeah. anyone could fall for her. Well, so, wait, so she's a lobbyist, bottom line. I mean, yes. she became a freaking lobbyist. And if we were yeah. good at messaging, everybody who refers yeah. to her should refer to her as corporate lobbyist Nina Turner. Yeah. 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 Um, but what I'll say is Chantel mm -hmm. Brown, I should say, who's a county commissioner, is running against her, who seems excellent. And uh, uh, big mm -hmm. member of the House, Representative uh, Clyburn, Jim Clyburn, right. just came out and endorsed Chantel Brown. Nice. That's why it's a big deal. Is she African-American? She is. I'm just wondering. Yeah. She's African-American, but she's in, she's a, a member of, of she's been a, a Democratic politician in the vein of someone like a congressman, Richie Torres, but, who is progressive, but believes in solutions. But sane. sane, believes in solutions, doesn't yeah. demagogue about things, doesn't yeah. switch allegiances on the, you know, in the flip of a dime. Um, so Chantel Brown's right. who you want. It's just interesting because Clyburn felt right. it was time to come out and endorse 
Chantel Brown. Hillary Clinton, by the way, right. has also endorsed Chantel Brown. So have others. Uh, a few people have endorsed Nita Turner that have just turned my head and shocked me. Uh, I'm a big Ted Lieu fan, but he endorsed Nita Turner, and I have no idea why. Right. Very disappointed in that decision. Um, but doesn't you know right. end all of my respect and whatever for him because I can I don't and not the world isn't black and white. In any case, support right. Chantel Brown. <clears throat> And good for Jim Clyburn, and that's news, and I don't I don't think there's much else going on. No. You know? All right. I mean, we can wrap it up. It's a little short today, but we're going to come back on Friday. Uh, no guest at this point. It'll just be issues of the day, Friday morning. Although I may have us a guest. Oh, excitement. I won't tell people who yet, but I'm working on okay. one. So we'll see what we can do there. All right. Um, all right. Well, let's just call it quits then. All right, guys. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. Like I said, I think Richie's always fascinating. Um and yeah it's wednesday okay yeah we'll be back on friday all right all right guys all right. Take all right. care. thanks for being here all right bye guys bye